Hello, everyone. So good to watch all of you come into the Cloud Zendo today. My name is Suzanne Kilkus. I received teacher entrustment for our Sangha Open Door Zen community here in Madison, Wisconsin in April 2020. And what I want to let you know is that um, here at Open Door, at, uh, to begin our meditations, we wave to each other. We're so happy. So I'm waving to all of you. Um, it's so good to be here. So let's sit for about 10 minutes, settling into the refuge of silence with each other.
As we come to the closing minute or so of our practice, quiet practice, silent practice, take note of your body, of the refuge of your body. And if it helps, put your right hand on your heart and notice what occurs as you let yourself Affectionately touch your heart area, a signal that this is a refuge for you. With each breath in, you breathe in love and care. With each breath out, you extend that love and care to everyone here. refuge. Let's recite the verse of the robe together. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Thank you, Maria, for um, your expert help here today. I'm very glad to be with all of you. As is our practice here at Open Door, I begin with acknowledgement of our teachers, Flint and Peg, our many ancestors, especially Blanche Hartman, Joe Kobeck, Suzuki Roshi, and Master Dogen, 
I also acknowledge that we here in Madison live on indigenous land that was the gathering place for at least the last 12,000 years of many tribes. We offer our practice for the healing of the many transgressions against native people and all people of color and for our own waking up and growing up to heal the wounds and right the wrongs of white supremacy, racial trauma, and injustices of all marginalized people. These are difficult times. I hear this a lot from a variety of places and people, one of them here on inquiry. Flint reminds us this has always been true. However, for many of us, the current challenges seem so much closer to home, don't they? One of the reasons I think is that Zen practice, whether alone or together, tenderizes us opens our hearts and minds to suffering close and far away. We are asked to show up in our lives wholeheartedly with courage and faith, to respond to the needs of many people at home and around the world. Whatever our response and actions to our world, we need refuge to hold ourselves and each other in understanding, compassion and loving care so that we can continue to show up bravely, courageously, and confidently. I wanna to talk today about seeking and taking refuge, using our refuge chant as a guide for this practice. For those of you who are not familiar with the refuge chant, I'll, I'll recite it here and then return to it later. I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Dharma, I take refuge in Sangha. We take refuge in Buddha, immersing body and mind deeply in the way, awakening true mind. We take refuge in Dharma, entering deeply the merciful ocean of Buddha's way. We take refuge in Sangha, bringing harmony to everyone free from hindrance. Now all being has completely taken refuge in Buddha. Now all being has completely taken refuge in Dharma. Now all being has completely taken refuge in Sangha. The meaning of the word refuge is safe haven or sanctuary. To seek refuge is to fly back to something we can trust, something that will hold us and where we find peace comfort and renewal. Sometimes there is a fine line between seeking refuge and escape with distractions. While we all need rest and recuperation, what we choose and how we seek it can make the difference between refuge and escapes that replay old patterns and keep us numb to ourselves, each other and all being. Our practice here has us seek refuge in what is called in Zen Buddhism, the triple treasure of the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The Buddha is refuge in being aware in our awakeness, to awaken to life as it is, free from our conditioned thoughts and perceptions. When I wrote this earlier and thought about it, I thought, how can this be a refuge when being aware can also be discomforting and agitating given current circumstances. Being awake in practice is not selective only to our preferences though. We need to keep in mind it is only in our awareness we can engage in embodied practices such as mindfulness meditation, conscious breathing, conscious moving, and connection with others that create wholehearted relationships and deeply nourishing lives. Taking refuge in the Dharma gives us guidance for day-to-day -day living. We are faced with many needs, wants, choices, and responses. We might know what we want, but not where we need to go to get or create it, or who might help us in the process. It's difficult to know what to say or do. 
in our practice life, we have the precepts and the paramitas to guide us. Coming to inquiry is helpful in that it offers space to listen, practice, ask, and be guided in responses that will help. We ask for refuge in Sangha, a community of friends which includes our spiritual friends, all the natural world, and others who show up to help. We hear of so much loneliness in our world, especially recently because of the pandemic isolation. Here in the US, our current Sur Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, a public service bodhisattva, I think, at the beginning of his service, traveled the country surveying communities for their most important health issues. What he discovered surprised him. He found that loneliness was the biggest, most debilitating condition that led to a host of other very serious health conditions. Out of that experience, he wrote a book, A Call to Action, to form communities of care and connection, asking us to put more attention on holding each other rather than being held. Community is not just a social pleasantry and structure. It is a healing balm and a holistic health imperative, as well as a path of spiritual growth. I think the Buddha discovered this just prior to his awakening. Please forgive my potential simplistic perspective on this, but I think it important to identify these factors. It is said that the Buddha spent six years on his journey to discovering the end of suffering. He attempted it on an individual quest, seeking out teachings and practices that would reveal the answer to his important questions. What is the nature of suffering and how to end it? On the verge of death, from the extreme austere practices offered to him by the prevailing path, by the prevailing view of the path of enlightenment, he was noticed in a ditch by a passing young woman on her way to bringing food to someone. Reading the dire situation rightly, she gave the milk and food to the Buddha. She offered physical nourishment and in turn provided the beginning of the turning of the wheel of the Dharma in her act of compassion, generosity, and kindness. Some accounts of this part of the Buddha's story say that she, Sujata returned several days in a row with food for him until he was strong enough to proceed on his own. I'm guessing there is truth to this as it takes time and warm attention to restore one's physical state to support emotional, psychological, and spiritual strength. The turning of the wheel of the Dharma began with a simple kindness and wholehearted relationship by this ordinary young woman. The Buddha had a sense of what he wanted, but needed someone to offer him what would truly put him on the path so that he could learn what he needed to learn and experience, go where he needed to go, and do what he needed to do. He thought this was the individual path, and he learned it takes a Buddha and a Buddha as is taught in the Lotus Sutra. It is no different for, than for, it is no different for us now. Every day we are faced with our needs and wants, with our deepest desires and path of growth. We are challenged with suffering, our own and others, concerns for personal health, family and friend relationships, community and cultural issues such as racial and gender inequality and injustices. If we can think in terms of a simple path, we can reduce our suffering. The second arrow as we refer to it in Zen, that suffering we cause ourselves by our thoughts and perceptions, by our societal patterns that keep injustices in place. The Buddha, and I'm sure many other Buddhas before him and since, has showed us the way. The sequence of the path is, number one, 
identifying the want or need that will express who and what you are in this world. Second, identify something or someone that can help you get where you need to go to do what you need or want to do. This may be by choice or might just show up like Sujata did for the Buddha. Google Maps aren't always the way to go. Take action is number three and be grateful with your whole heart and mind, offering your life for the well-being of all. Live a life of appropriate response using the precepts and the paramitas as a guide. In this way, you become a refuge for your circle of family and friends and anyone you meet. An experience of this path showed me the sequence clearly last week. I was on a few days vacation with a dear friend. We both wanted to find a specific beach on Lake Superior, that most wonderful of great lakes here in the Midwest. We wanted to find a beach for picking rocks and agates. Both of us have an affinity with these teachers in the natural world. We checked Google Maps and ended up in a parking lot along the shore that was obviously not where we would find what we were looking for. A man nearby noticed our puzzlement and asked us what we wanted. In telling him, we learned many wonderful facts about the area and things about him that enhanced our whole experience. In fact, as we were exploring the beach per his direction, I found myself sitting next to this rock. I think it reflects the broken heart of all the suffering in the world. I recall the Leonard Cohen lyric that the place where the heart is broken is the place that allows the inner light of love to shine through. We got exactly what we needed and wanted. Everyday actions will help us go where we need to go, meet who and what we need to meet, and do what we need to do based on what we most need to express from our true nature. Trust this, it is always available. It is always where we can seek and find refuge. If this brings up anything for you and there is anything or you, there is anything you'd like to add here about your experience of taking refuge, let's open it up. Remember that what you offer here will and does benefit everyone else. Help me have Chris. Hello, there you are. So good to see Hi. you here. Hello. Hi, Suzanne. Good to see you. Hi, everybody. Um, I enjoyed the laugh when I heard you say um, Google Google Maps is not always the way to go. That, that felt good. Thank you. You're welcome. <clears throat> um, I, I wanted to come forward right away. And it's, uh, it's fitting that you were talking about refuge because I wanted to um, probably not for the first time and not for the last time thank you um, and open door for the refuge that you've been for for me and Liz. Liz also is a, across the room working facilitating a meeting so she says hello and gives a hug. Let me wave to her. Hi Liz. Mm -hmm. um, but you know as I think about it you know we are um also a part of the awakening together sangha in, in minnesota um but a part of open door too and it's not like sort of part of one sort of part of the other 
it's not split or divided or one foot in, one foot in the other, but fully in, in both of these sanghas as, as refuge. Um, but open door, especially, um, you know, apropos of its name, it's got such an energy of welcoming and openness and hospitality. And so much of that comes through you too, Suzanne, and all the, all the open doors. I open doors, everybody I, I see. Um, and so that, um, that energetic quality of, of the refuge or sanctuary of open door, it is like a, it's like a, um, like a sanctuary for something that seems like a, a rare kind of bird or seems like a rare kind of animal, that, that kind of quality even though it's, I think, not rare at all, but it's, it's concentrated in, in a way through open door. And what I find in being able to be with you is um, sometimes it's not so much like, well, sometimes it is like going and just receiving that, receiving that welcoming and hospitality and openness, but it's also allowing space of like, being able to recognize that same quality in me and let that come forward yes. even more. Mm -hmm. that, that's what I meant, Chris, by our practice, we can become refuges as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I can tell you, we are so happy that you and Liz are double dipping. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and I the... always feel you and Liz fully here fully present. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And, uh, and we're all welcoming you right now, um, conducting inquiry. It's a great occasion, so thank you. Mm -hmm. You're very welcome. Mm -hmm. We have Richie next. Mm. Hello, Richie, I'm glad to meet you. I meet you on your emails, um, and I'm glad to see you in person here. Oh, thank you. That's a nice welcome. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, I found that this practice has really started opening my heart a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I was thinking about what you were saying about heartbreak and that it's the scars where the light comes out. Um, is that because maybe it's because you've suffered yourself and then you see suffering in others and you can there's this because uh, I was thinking oh, at one point I was thinking I'd really like to get to Nibbana and just get out of this world and yeah. and then there was a point and I was chatting to my family because um I've been reconnecting with my family that's thanks to you guys as well because yeah. I used to be terrified of video calls and stuff and now now I'm getting used to it and um I'm connecting with my family more as well and yeah. um and it's been really good yeah I was doing that I was, um and then I just feel like I felt feel this tenderness towards a lot of people as well, and the people who sit regularly every you know every day. I just feel this kind of tenderness towards everybody, and um, it's quite new for me, really. That is, I mean, I have felt tenderness before, but this is quite like oof, it's really kind of quite strong. Mm -hmm. um, it's changed me quite quite a bit, and um, <laughs> I'm losing track. That's it. I, I thought. I feel like I don't, I don't want to go to Nibbana without everyone else. It's like um, it, it, that weird feeling. Like I know it's me, mate, my brain making up a story about what what it's all about, and that you know this idea of Nibbana or whatever. But I just thought like I don't like the thought of leaving people behind, and um, you know just walking through a door and living in bliss. But I couldn't really live in bliss if thinking that everyone else was suffering, and and that made me think about the Bodhisattva vow. And um, I, don't, I don't know if it's anything like that or not. Um, well, I would suggest to you, Richie, that this is nirvana. Right, okay. This is it. Yeah. Um, I, I know the Buddha didn't, didn't entertain any questions, at least from what I read, questions about the afterlife or nirvana. He was, he was here right now, encouraging all of us to be right here right now with each other in this spirit of 
on being refuge. And I, what you spoke to about tenderizing or having a very tender heart, I think that being with each other is really the only way we can um, offer our tenderness, our compassion and our understanding to others because we're being held as we hold. So I'm very grateful that you made the choice that you did, Richie. Yeah, it's been good. I, and I liked what you said about the refuge of the body because um, sometimes I, uh, I really like feeling my skin, you know, especially when, and that, that does, it helps. I, if I remember, uh, I just, I, I come back from the self-centered dream as we call it, and then I feel my skin and that brings me back to the present and it feels really, feels really good. So mm -hmm. yeah. thank yeah. you. You're welcome. You're very welcome, Richie. Yeah. Hello, Becky. I recognize you from uh, from being on inquiry with you. Mm -hmm. I I'm really glad that you picked the refuges as what you're talking about. When when I first came to Appamata and was beginning to learn things that were framed differently than I had ever heard or they weren't new concepts so much as, as I hadn't thought of them intentionally in a way that, that other people had helped me feel. But, but the one thing that, that was absolutely clear to me and has gotten deeper and bigger um, is, is the refuge of Sangha. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it is how we can sustain each other how we can you know and and it's it's such a precious wondrous thing because it's not like as you said it's not it's not like it's a, a way to step aside from anything it's quite the opposite in many ways and yet it brings that nurturance to what it is you're struggling with that makes it get bigger too. I mean, you know, like the whole thing, it's uh, pretty amazing. And, and when I was thinking about it uh, the first time, which is, you know, uh, just about a, a year and a half ago, um, that one of the things I went, you know, like, yes, a refuge should be a refuge. And yet we call people refugees and offer them no refuge as as a larger society we do not mm -hmm. and that, that just struck me as like very uh absurd that we call it refugee mm -hmm. and then can act that way so I just that was one of the things but the other thing that was that was wonderful about about that experience for me in terms of of feeling I, I had felt the sangha before but it wasn't like I was in it like when I visited at Appamata for instance I felt it and I felt like oh that's something I want in my life mm -hmm. but at that point I wasn't able to get there and whatever and now that now that there's zoom and and I've even moved farther away uh it's mm -hmm. it's an option and and so the one of one of the things that that was really important to me and and so on was when I realized that that we have that that we need to respond by truly by truly accepting refuge when it's freely offered. And that, and that it like to to have it be there for us, and to step away from it diminishes all of us. Yes, yes. And and so I I think that that the whole process of of offering it in so many welcoming and supportive ways as our sanghas and the many ones that we are here today for instance uh as as we all are also one while we're being together mm -hmm. um that that it's one of the it's one of the most important work that we do is is to is to be that absolutely with each other 
so that we can learn inside of ourselves the places that we want to grow it a little bit more and learn some refinements and some depths. Yes, without a refuge, a genuine refuge, our growth gets stunted. And so yeah. we do need to have that, you know, and, um, there's only so many Netflix documentaries we can watch, you know, that might uh, provide us the external world, but really coming home to ourselves, taking ownership of our lives and bringing that to Sangha, bringing that to others. That is what refuge is. And, and once we give the opportunity for people to experience refuge, at least in my case, I didn't really get it fully about how could the Buddha be refuge? How could the Dharma be refuge? Yeah. But because it's, because it's so, so everything that Sangha is. Well, I would we, suggest to you, Becky, it because it comes through human contact. Because it absolutely. comes through friendship. That, that is what, I keep, I keep seeing you go, here, that's what comes into your heart. Yes. Thank you yeah. so much, Becky. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hello. Hello, Ben. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. Thank you for uh, being here with us today and your talk. And hello, everyone. Um, I have a question about uh, anger and sort of the process of practicing with anger um, mm -hmm. and what uh, I think where sort of I've been working with this is um, what I've noticed is that when I become angry um, that deep inside there's some sort of story about an injury to me personally and my self uh, my conception of self nature. And, um, so to, to just give an example to sort of make this not so conceptual for everyone is, um, you know, my, I'm training my, where I'm working with my daughter through learning with, you know, toilet learning. And sometimes she just like, you know, poops and, and it's just like, it feels like it's been forever that we've been working on this. And sometimes she won't tell me, the truth when she's actually doing it. And then, you know, it's sort of like, I just internalized this injury to me mm -hmm. and uh, working with that. And I, you know, there's, I'm working with curiosity on it to, to, to just be curious about what my own reaction is. Mm -hmm. um, but what I notice is sometimes when I like roll up quickly to more anger, it seems like there's this underlying sort of residue of that, of that feeling there. And, and I'm just sort of like, it happens so quickly. What I, what I'm curious about is, are there, are there some things, mechanics in there or some practice around that, that could help with, um, with that process, I guess. Well, first of all, with I, I don't know if you noticed other parents on on the screen who could very much identify with you about that. Mm -hmm. um, we've all been through that kind of stage with our children. Um, and uh, the way I see anger is conceptually, it is a fundamental injustice that our body is reacting to whether it's a perceived injustice, you know, our stories, or an actual injustice. This is our nervous system response. And what I have found useful in working with it is asking that question, what's the fundamental injustice here? Mm -hmm. is, it, is it a perceived one? This shouldn't be happening. I'm working really hard as a parent. Mm -hmm. um, I want my child to get this and she's not getting it. What's wrong? You know, that kind of storyline that we get caught into. Um, and then we can turn toward ourselves very gently. And I like to use a hand gesture of, oh, come back here. It's okay. You know, she's doing what she needs to be doing. And I'm being a good enough parent. 
you know, however we need to revise our story about it can mm -hmm. calm our nervous system's reaction to it and, and um, can settle us into a place of this is as it is. This is life as it's showing up right now. When we can work with ourselves in that way, compassion and understanding arises. There isn't anything wrong with this. But if we put it out on another person where who doesn't belong to, like your daughter, you know, that, that's a dilemma. That's what we need to work with. Does that make sense? Yes, and uh, it, um, yeah, it reminds me of the, you know, the extension of life as the only teacher as, as also, you know, the, 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 the sort of the person that we think is, is related to our anger being the teacher as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, and I really appreciate the, the hand gesture to <clears throat> as a way to activate some sort of um, habit, form of habit of mm -hmm. looking at ourself and caring for ourselves in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's Thich Han who suggests that we turn toward ourselves and our those parts of us or our feelings and go, oh, hello there. And that we hold ourselves like a baby, maybe even rock that part of ourselves. Oh, hello there, anger. Ah, you got activated. Because that turns us in the direction of compassion and understanding. Thank you. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're welcome. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm just here to hello, offer me presence. <laughs> And my really, I mean, I'm just sitting here kind of choked up because um, it's, a, it's a big thing to see you here, Suzanne, um, speaking as part of inquiry and in this lineage of teachers and students and teachings and transmissions. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if you all see my uh, not showing my face uh, <laughs> little placeholder in my video, but it's a... Uh, it's a bee that landed in a very, very unusual um, landscape of a, of a sunflower that was in my yard. Oh. And, um, and I thought about it as actually when I looked at that bee, I thought the happy bee found a place to land. And that is one part of the story. And the other part of the story, that bee is working hard and it's pollinating. Mm -hmm. It's the pollinator. It's the one that makes it all go forward from flower to seed to flower. And I think of you, Suzanne, as a pollinator. You have been a pollinator in my life for, for many, many years. Um, and a Dharma sister, you know, through various paths um, for many years too. And um, in, in so many ways, I owe my journey to your company and to your place of landing that you've always offered me and your deep teachings. And I hope to, um, be a pollinator like you, um, like you are a student of Flint's who had his teachers. And I think of the whole transmission process is pollination and that we then make it possible for the seeds of goodness to come forth through just our life, our cycle of life. And so I just want to honor your cycle of life and your pollination and your friendship and the, the great honor it is for me to see you in this place at this time. Thank you, Afrat. Thank you. I really treasure being on this path with you. Mm -hmm. Hello, Flint. Hello. <clears throat> I was really moved by what Afrat said. Um, in talking about transmission and, and connection. Mm -hmm. uh, and by, and, and touched by your deep presence, which I can always count on. And I began to realize that that's part of what I take refuge in. And why I'm asking those of you who have received entrustment to come forward, because I take refuge in my 
teachers, but also in what you carry forward. Like part of my, my refuge is knowing there's, there's someone to hand the Dharma to. Um, one of the questions I have, and, and it's because both of us have spent time in our lives as, as therapists and then as, as teachers in this, this way, um, is sometimes people um, begin, they may understand taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, um, but sometimes there's a way in which it feels like um, I'm seen as the refuge. Uh, and then there's a, a request or a, a pull or a something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have to find a way to maintain a balance and a refuge mm-hmm. uh, to, to respond appropriately, not to get away or to turn away, but to help. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. And I'm wondering how you understand refuge in that edge of need and uh, the human messiness of all that human need. Yeah. Oh, that's so familiar to me, Flint. And you know that I retired from my, from my professional practice just last year, so I'm not that far away from it. But what I what I discovered when I, you know, as a young therapist, how I would take all of that on and you know, kind of believe that. And then I would recognize, wait a minute, the refuge, what was going on between us. Mm-hmm. That's what the refuge was. So that I could put whatever I had to offer between us and invite the other person or persons, because I worked a lot with couples, to offer what they could to each other and to the relationship that we formed. And that was such a relief so that I could, so that I could practice 40 years. I couldn't practice 40 years without it. Well, and it doesn't really change in this form in a way. Uh Yeah. The same thing begins to happen. And you're speaking about the psychological version of a Buddha and a Buddha. It's the space that opens between. Right. Exactly. Which is really the space of refuge. And I like you saying it that way. That's helping me. My body is relaxing when you say, Mm -hmm. even though I know this, I teach this, but you're saying it back to me, you then become the refuge for me to remember Mm -hmm. that space between as the point of refuge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel that with you, Flynn. I mean, early on in our relationship, what, 18 years ago as it began, I I came running to you because I was in the midst of (laughs) writing my dissertation. I was in my 50s and, you know, I was a late bloomer and and I came running to you every time you came to Madison about, you know, how how does this get done? And and you'd say, just do it. Just do it. And over time, it was what what developed between us that mattered. Not you well, definitely you as a person, that mattered as well. But what was between us always? And I, I you know, I relayed the story of how I see the Buddha's awakening. I think that's what happened between he and Sujata. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Each call the other in a certain way and something happened that couldn't have mm-hmm. happened alone. It's what we do all the time. Not have happened alone, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. What's the primary refuge for you um, in in facing both the beautiful and uh, really astounding kind of call that CJ started, you know, Chris started talking about and is woven through each person. There's that. And the call of your body and challenges it's having now. Mm. Uh, because it, it seems like there's where do you find refuge? In this, in um, definitely in my partner of over 50 years. He's absolutely here with me. Um, in our community, it, it's so, it's, it's beyond nourishment. Say more about that, because I, I, that resonates, of course, for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it's the simple things. Like I said, we come online and we're waving to each other. <laughs> and I suspect that once we're able, we're able to meet in person, we're going to walk into the room and we're going to wave to each other. 
It's that acknowledgement of the other just as they are. Oh. The acknowledgement of the love and the care that we share just as we are. Um, that's, that's nourishment. But for me, it's beyond nourishment. Um, whatever state my body is in at any given moment um, uh, is, is healed by it. Whatever happens, whatever happens. Well, what you just said, I, I now understand. I think that's really the signature thing that you're teaching right now is acknowledging each other just as we are. Mm -hmm. That's the triple treasure. That's all of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, to see the wakeful nature and to be seen as offering what's wakeful, to acknowledge each other as we are is the, the opening of the way things actually move with the Dharma is, the, the lawful nature of the universe. And of course, it's relational. It's, it's Sangha, but actually just really, truly acknowledging each other. Mm -hmm. clearly as we are, is the entire triple treasure. Mm -hmm. And that's really wonderful that you said it that way. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your refuge. Thank you. Thank you so much. Kathy. Hello. Hi, Suzanne. Why so much is going through me right now. The, the, I first wanted to raise my hand when you um, quoted, may, um, no, I'm, I'm having brain freeze, but that's okay. Leonard Cohen, when he said that the place where the heart is broke is the place that allows the light in. And it reminded me of, a, of um, something that Larry Wood said in his book, um, America's Racial Karma Invitation to Heal. And what he said is that sorrow is divine energy. And I was thinking about, you know, I was holding that, you know, divine energy. And then when you said that it's the place where the light can come in, then I had another way to, to understand and to process you know, divine energy, of course, is the light, is the light, the inner light, right? And I can feel that. Mm -hmm. I can feel that in sorrow. And then from your conversation with Flint, I was thinking, oh, right, the sorrow is the, is the energy in between. You know, it's the nurturance, it's the caring. And um, so, so I began to think that nurturance is divine energy. Mm -hmm. And um, so I want to thank you. Yeah. I want well. I want to thank you for being here, and for stepping forward. And I want to thank you for the nurturance, and um, and the conversation. Thank you so much. It's really been enriching. Thank you and nurturing. You're welcome. And I think Kathy, what I said was, it's where the light comes out. Okay, that's right. That's right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. In and out. In and out, right. In and out. Right. So, right. Yeah, thank you right. for pointing that out. Yeah. And I, I guess the, the other thing I, I thought of, because um, I work with Flint on this, I, I was saying that one of my refuges for resources in a way is, is to think, um, well, just being me. And he said, try it on as just being this. Mm -hmm. And so that's the relative and the absolute. Yeah. And so I, I tried that with what you said about acknowledging each other for what they are. And, mm -hmm. and so I tried it out as acknowledging each other as being this, as being this. Being this. Mm -hmm. And so thank you. There's time for what Philip calls the lightning round, I guess. We have a couple more minutes. If there's anybody else who wants to uh, step up and we can spend these last couple of minutes in silence. Joan. Hello, Joan. Hi, Suzanne, you're looking so well. Good to see you. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I am going to ask a question about that will require you just to uh, kind of imagine. <laughs> um, I have always been curious about the story that Flint talked about um, Blanche having her terrible health crisis. I think it might have been a massive stroke and and they had to airlift her to uh, the hospital, I assume, in San Francisco. And she told him that the whole time she was in peace, thinking of the refugees. And I've always been curious about that. You know, what what does she what did she mean by that? And of course, I don't know that any of us can know. Flint may have a better idea, but I just wondered what you think she might have meant by that. I think she was at home in herself and and what her life was. I think there was this peace inside of her mm. that whatever was happening was happening. There was no kind of doing anything else with it other than being right where she was. Mm -hmm. oh, well, um, for me, that 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 makes more sense to me. Mm -hmm. I thought, was she was she giving the refugees or what? But but mm -hmm. what you just described, mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I can we, we can all you know decipher as we need to, mm -hmm. and we can be examples for each other about how we meet life, especially in our challenging moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Joan. Wonderful to see you. Mm -hmm. So I see that we're at time. So um, let's recite the refuges together. I'll put them up um, on screen share. Let's see, here we go. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, let's see who they are. So as we close today, we recite and we live in the refuges. I take refuge in Buddha. I take refuge in Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. We take refuge in Buddha, immersing body and mind deeply in the way, awakening true mind. We take refuge in Dharma, entering deeply the merciful ocean of Buddha's way, we take refuge in Sangha, bringing harmony to everyone free from hindrance. Now all being has completely taken refuge in Buddha. Now all being has completely taken refuge in Dharma. Now all being has completely taken refuge in Sangha. Thank you for being here, everyone. I'm going to wave to you. Bye. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Maria. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Susanna, for such a rich and wonderful talk and inquiry. And thank you, everybody, for showing up and creating this space. Thank you so much, everybody. And if you'd like to contribute to Appamada's programs and facilities, please go to the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. And this will give you a link to and an opportunity to offer Dana to teachers such as Flint and Peg and other teachers. And so thank you so much, everybody. And we now move on to the next part of our day, um, which is after inquiry, where we continue to meet and share on the online porch, which is right here. So you just stay right where you are. So looking forward to seeing some of you there and take care, everybody. Thank you so much.